0: everybody and welcome to another edition of talent stacked the podcast for people who are all about growing their skill sets i'm your host jeff weaver and i am here today with one of my favorite people in the world this is so exciting that i get to sit down with deb Uh, Deborah mckenzie is my guest today and we're going to be talking about sort of the origin of all this uh, idea and concept that came to be because um you know as i think back on talent stacks and what they are and how this idea came to me Deb was there with me at the the beginning of all of this. Deborah, welcome. Thank you for being here with me.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be here. I'm so excited to have our conversation today because again, like you said, been there part of this origin and it matches my my journey as well.
0: I'm I always get excited when we get to catch up, which is never often enough, but we've known each other for <laughs> gosh, it's going on 15 years, pretty close to at this point. Ah, uh, my goodness, the time flies. Um, but let's talk a little bit about how we know each other, because that sort of sets the tone, and then I, I want to back into that a little bit as well. So you and I started working together at Southwest Florida College. This would have been, uh, again, maybe, you know, 14, 15 years ago now at this point, and you re- I know, right? Um, and you were there when I came on board. So I-, I came on as director of career services for about a year. You had already been in place working in um, essentially student services, I believe was the official department. So why don't you describe a little bit about what you were doing and how you got there?
1: Yeah. So um, as you mentioned, I was working in student services. I was more so like a student services advisor. So it was a holistic type of service. Uh, It was a combination of providing some academic coaching and support in addition to some career coaching and support. And more so it was uh, a framework of being able to provide resources and referral for students who were experiencing any kind of external factors that had any kind of challenge to their academic success. Um, So some specific examples is if one of the uh, external factors was financial. Um, I would help them with trying to see if getting a job was feasible. And that was something that could help to manage any kind of financial barriers. Um, And so with that, you know, it did involve a lot of like just listening to the students, doing some quick assessments, having that knowledge of the various resources within Southwest Florida College, and then being creative because, you know, as you said, we got there and I know, I don't know if it was for you, but for me, I noticed that, okay, yeah, we don't have some things in place. Um, I can tell you specifically like childcare. I remember going to the local child care providers in the area to speak with those directors and try to get an idea of what the cost and the services look like so I can create, you know, just some kind of referral base for child care as well. So, yeah, um, uh, again, providing those supportive services to manage those external factors that create a challenge for academic success.
0: Yeah, we, we did not have a lot in place like <laughs> like rules or guidelines right. or even suggestions. I think one of the things I loved so much about being at the college at that time was, you know, Nikki and Raul really had this idea of changing the game. They, they were really trying to break the mold of what career colleging was at the time. And BA more, I love the word holistic, it really was. It was a, a whole person approach. Right? We wanted to take care of them academically, make sure they got through school, and we wanted to set them up for success afterwards, and we were thinking about a lot more than just the education, which is where this, you know, as I talked in the, the origins episode, this whole talent stack thing originates from is the idea of having more than just one set of skills. It's parting and piecing all these skills together. Um, So yeah you and I were there sort of at the beginning of it which we will talk about but I want to hear how you ended up there because like I said you were there before I was so I don't actually know a lot of your story that led you to Southwest Florida so how did you end up at the college and and what was the pitch that got you on board there.
1: Oh, wow. So this is going to be a very interesting story to you. So I
0: love a good um, interesting story. That's what I do this for. (laughs) I live for a good interesting story.
1: Yes, I'm I'm going to take you back a little bit further to get the full understanding. i got to take you back to undergrad. So um, to tell the story of how I got into student services, career counseling to begin with. Um, So I attended undergraduate um, school at uh, Old Dominion University, Norfolk, Virginia. Um, And uh, as a student there, I found myself just, again, having all of these interests and abilities, talking about talent stack, and I I was good at them. And so I found myself having a challenge with choosing a major so much. I changed my major five times. And the craziest thing of that experience is that my only campus job while being a student was working in a career center. I was a peer counselor. So my job was to refer students to career counseling in addition to helping with their resumes and cover letters. And so here I am, I'm changing my major several times. And so my father gave me that ultimatum of saying he's not going to support a professional student. And, you know, and so I, that, that prompted me to go to take the walk of shame to the career counselor. And I was like, yeah, so, um, I'm on my, uh, fourth major change. And she was like, well, what is your major change now? Well, I went undecided because, you know, I need to really decide. <laughs> And she was like, shame on you, you're not good PR for us. (laughs) And so, of course, went through the process of career counseling and um, it worked because not only did I discover what I wanted to do when I graduated, which was to work in behavioral health. working with child and adolescent individuals with disabilities and behavior issues. But I also knew that I wanted to practice that for five years and going to career counseling because I love the experience that it created for me. And I wanted to be a part of creating that experience for individuals specifically like myself and probably like you, Jeff, um, where you, again, are there's there's a a framework in career counseling called multi-potential, meaning that you have a lot of interests and you have a lot of capabilities in those interests. And honestly, choosing is bondage or choosing is, is a challenge. It, you feel like you want to tap on all those things. And somewhere intrinsically, you know, there is a career or an opportunity that does encompass all of those interests and abilities you have. You just have to find it. Um, and so I wanted to create that kind of experience for others. So um, I attended uh, University of South Florida five years later, just right on track. Um, and I got my master's degree in career counseling, and um, I graduated at one of the worst times. I graduated right at the start of the 2008 recession, and oh my goodness, (laughs) I was not prepared. Um, Thankfully, uh, you know, part of having that multi-potential factor is you do own in your skills of kind of just being aware and observing things and being open and so i realized that um, probably the best place for me during a recession coming out with a master's degree in career counseling is to go work for a regional career source board so i worked for career source tampa bay um i worked particularly with um parents and families that were receiving Cash assistance, so temporary temporary assistance for needy families. That particular program, at that time, uh, legislation went out to basically, um, you know, increasing funds for the Workforce Innovation Act, and so I was able to, you know, have good job security. Um, and with that, I began to realize that when you provide services, whether it is career counseling, academic coaching, supportive services. That delivery can vary based upon the organization that you work for. So, for Career Source, this delivery was more of a case management model. And this was a skill set that I had to acquire very quickly. Uh, I had a very large caseload. Um, I also had to do case documentation, very intimate case documentation at that. Um, and then I also had to organize the paperwork. And so, uh, it was a lot that I had to learn to up to the curve really quickly and uh, manage. And so for that, I was able to, you know, do that for about a good year and a half. And again, it provided great job security. But what I didn't care for was the heavy case management side. I di- I missed that touch point of the career counseling, the career development. And so I decided to go back into higher education where I thought it might be safe again. <laughs> Um, And I was looking to go back to USF, but they didn't have any positions in the career center available. And um, so then I had to look into academic advising because I did have some experience with that. And I will be completely transparent and honest. I was looking at the money. I was looking at the salary, um, you know, and so I noticed that your proprietary institutions paid a little bit more than your public land grant institutions. So I got pulled into the Everest, you know, uh, Everest, uh, I guess, I don't want to say trap, but I want to say temptation. Um, because and, and being naive, because I never worked for one of those types of institutions, so I'm coming in all just, you know, excited and with my context of working in a public institution, uh, saying, okay, I'm going to basically get back into the same role. And as I mentioned before, your delivery of service varies based upon the organization. I learned very quickly, first of all. If I didn't have an understanding of accreditation, I had it then, <laughs> and realized that all degrees were not created equal. Secondly, I also realized that there is a business model that exists for colleges and universities, and that business model was very apparent working for Everest. I'm being I'm being so politically correct right now. Well, it's that's,
0: <laughs> look, I, it's not a big enough podcast for so, you to go and get sued yet, Deb. So. <laughs> I have no sponsorship, I have there's nothing for them yet. So I don't know if that means right. this is the best time to unload on these guys or the worst, but either way, just,
1: just
0: let it be known.
1: Yes, absolutely. So again, talking about talent stacked, I had to learn things like performance metrics very quickly because my evaluation of my effectiveness was not from a qualitative standpoint, which is what I was used to, but very quantitative. So it was all about retention, retention equal, how much money was being retained within the university. And so that made me really, again, creativity wise, I had to do this dance of being a servant to the students I was working with while being an agent of the university and making sure I met the business outcomes. So with that, you know, there were some personal dilemmas that I, I encountered, but at the same time, I took it as a challenge because at the end of the day, and that's when my eyes are open to universities, colleges, they are businesses, you know, you know, knowledge doesn't pay the bills, you know? And so it allowed me to develop some of those administrative um, operational skills uh, as I was in that role. Um, but it, it did get to the point to where I think at some Some point when you start to get in touch with the students and you see the lives that are behind the name and the student ID and realizing that there is a goal, there is a journey that they're trying to create. And when you kind of know some other inside information, conflict starts to arise. And so I think at that particular point, I wasn't I wasn't turned off to proprietary institutions. I was just turned off to the model that Everest had. So that's when I began to open up and see, okay, well, what other proprietary institutions that are out there, what kind of opportunities they have? And that's where I discovered Southwest Florida College and they did have that student services advisor opportunity. And so there was a lot of transferable uh, skills that I can bring and even some cre- creative opportunities as well. So I did speak with Nikki and we had that conversation about that transferable skill set and um, the, the ability to come and create. And I, I wanted to be a part of that. And so that's what brought me to Southwest Florida
0: College. That's so interesting. There's so much I'm going to unpack from this. <laughs> I, I, have, I have notes like crazy here. So first of all, I love that there is a, an actual term um, for, what did you say it was, it, for having lots of interests and in being
1: multi-potential. kind
0: of- Multi-potential. potential I love that there is a academic term for being labeled gifted with undiagnosed ADD. <laughs> that's great. Yes! I'm I'm so glad that we have a word for it because that's I've just had to refer to it by what it is. but you're absolutely right. I mean that it, that is probably the origin of everyone who is in this bucket of of being interested in these talent stacks and collecting the ability to do lots of weird little things and and then putting it all together. Um, and, and I do think, your journey is interesting in that way because, as you point out, it's it starts in that place. It, very similar to how I I was in college, right? Just it, I need to graduate. I, I got at some point I got to get out of this place, right? I always joke I majored in graduating, um, which ended up being a, a bachelor in political science. Why? Because I was willing to go to class. That was such a big deal at that point that I would just <laughs> get up and go to those classes. Uh, but it, that is the first moment of realization for me that was. It's not necessarily about having one particular skill set, the ability to gravitate to lots of little things and then put them together in an interesting way. So what was your actual degree? I mean, did you end up in, uh, what was the actual degree you graduated with then in your undergrad?
1: So I graduated with a bachelor of science. Um, This is an interesting term. It does exist. It's called therapeutic recreation. So basically it is, it's part of the rehabilitative uh, suite, as I could like call, it, along with OT, um, occupational therapy, physical therapy. So the 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 point of rehabilitation is to rehabilitate individuals that have some kind of disability, new ability, or some kind of um, modified ability to be able to function their leisure skills. Because the leisure skills do have a positive psychological impact, um, and so um, that's pretty much I was I was certified as a certified therapeutic recreation specialist, um, and uh, that was. And again, you hear that. That was when I said, you know, I, I wanted to see there was something that was all encompassing of those skills that I brought to the table. Wanting to help people. Um, I was very analytical, detail oriented, also creative. Um, you know, I was also I love working with individuals, especially at that time it was children, and so it was really all encompassing of, of those things. Um, and I think I would have never found that had I not uh, did career counseling. It just would have been totally absent out of mind for me. So bachelor science in that,
0: yeah, yeah, and it and it just it I love that because it speaks to, I think a lot of people who are are going to be interested in what you know this podcast is about are in in that stage of life are in that same place where it's like how do I pick a degree and you've spent so much time in this and we'll talk about particularly you know post Southwest Florida College you went on to really spend a lot how do I choose from this massive catalog and it's like well at the end of the day there's a a, a common thread amongst a pretty much all higher ed liberal arts education, which is you're learning how to think and you're learning how to problem solve and you're learning how to communicate. And the major becomes a wrapper or a flavor around that. For me, I had enough interest in politics that I could learn the skills in that, whether it's, you know, doing that around English or doing that around art or doing that around whatever it is, you know, business or whatever you're learning how to think you're learning how to write, you're learning how to communicate and you're learning how to do it within a certain context. And then that gets you to the next thing. But I I love that it was for you putting together the, well, I like a little bit of this and I like a little bit of this and I like a little bit of this and what can that equal up to? Um, that's, that's the very definition of, of being, you know, of, of talent stacking is taking all these little things that we like to do and and acquire some skill at and then turning them into something. So for you, it started with your degree. That's great. So, Southwest Florida College. So that's where we started. That's where we met. You were there when I got there. And I I do agree. I had never worked in the college industry prior to that. I had not worked in any colleges before or since. It was my one and only time in, inside of academia. But I do remember that part of the reason I ended up there was because, uh, you know, when I sat down uh, with Nikki and Raul, who were in charge of the place at the time, they were very much looking to upend the traditional models and build something different that was a more balanced approach I'll call it between the you know the needs and and wants of a business profit you know a for-profit college and a traditional college which unfortunately I think do represent two ends of the spectrum right a lot of these for-profit colleges that is, they're labeled that way because that's really all they care about they they run almost entirely as a business and on the opposite end you've got your traditional liberal arts institutions that run almost forgetting that there's still a need to make some money at the end of the day and keep the lights on. I really always appreciated that there was that balance between and and that it was really about how can we turn the profit motive of keeping students enrolled, getting them through till graduation, making sure that they're gainfully employed? How can we turn that into a favorable outcome for both sides of the equation? Because there is inherently a benefit to the student to stay enrolled and go through. I mean, we we see it today. So much of the student debt loan crisis is students who didn't finish. They didn't even get the thing that they went all this, you know, halfway uh, near all the way into debt for. And at the same time, you know, you've got to be able to get through that and come out the other end with more than just a piece of paper. You have to come out with some skills and a plan that you can actually translate into the working world. And that was where your and I's time was, was spent uh, when we were at Southwest Florida, because that was the change in, in career services. Traditionally, career services, which, which I had come into, it was a it was a job placement agency. You know, it, it was effectively a staffing agency at these colleges, and I had no background in that. They they traditionally hired people from staffing companies to run those departments. I had no background in any of that. I had a background in the recruiting side. I'd been on the corporate recruiting end of the spectrum, and I remember Nikki and I talking about that background. And she's like, "Look, you you have what we want on the other end. You know the employers. You know what they're looking for. You know what they're after. You know what matters to them. You speak their language. What we're trying to build is this long term." relationship with them and so my job was getting out there and trying to bring in in you know companies and employers who were looking for more than just certification because what Nikki realized what Raul realized was everybody could offer certification everybody everybody was minting you know medical coders and physical therapists and uh IT A++ technicians everybody was minting those degrees if you wanted a chance to really differentiate yourself on the front end to bring students in, you had to show them that on the back end, you were more than just another place that they were, you know, how much does it cost me to get that piece of paper that I had? Um, because that's that became the competition for most of that industry was just we were the fastest and the cheapest to get you the piece of paper you needed. And, and we were taking a very different approach I, I can only imagine what kind of oddballs we looked like to the, I was too ignorant to know how weird we were because I had no other experience I'm just like okay let's try this i'll I'll do this i I see the vision I agree with the vision let me give it a shot but I had I had no concept of how weird that was uh, within the industry at the time looking back on it I can appreciate how radical an idea that was going to be um, had it had it been able to, you know, work itself out. Unfortunately, uh, you know, the, the regs changed and and the gainful employment reg in particular sort of changed the way those models had to work. But it, it would have been a very interesting time because we spent a lot of time, you and I, on coaching students through things that had nothing to do with traditional job placement or even traditional education. I mean, we were teaching life skills classes together.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the thing about it is, is whether we like it or not, our career choices, they do touch every aspect in our life and vice versa. And so one can just jump into school and education and jump into a career without thinking about their entire life. I think what happens is there's some thought about life. Life starts lifing. Right. And then you think about, okay, I might need to go get a degree or I might need to, you know, get a job or I might need to shift my job and go into make a pivot into this particular career and so what happens is that um the holistic approach really takes more what i like to call a whole life approach because again we nothing is exempt when we are making those types of decisions Uh, i'm going to nerd out for a quick moment and talk about uh, complexity and capability as part of the cognitive information process model i mean this was um created by um Samson and Reardon, who are professors and researchers at Florida State University. And so that is one of the major theories in career development. And that's what I was taught in our program. Um, And they talk about how, if you can think of um, an axis and on your axis, you have an axis of your internal factors. So things like, um, you know, your mental health, things like your identity, self-esteem, your your intelligence and and, and the like intrinsic motivation. And then you have your external factors, which is kind of more of like your complexity. So again, social economic, you know uh, things of that nature. And so what happens is that when we talk about readiness Readiness is a construct that is a sliding scale based upon the interaction of those factors. So if your complexity is high, meaning you've got a lot of external factors going on and your capability is low, you don't have a lot of these intrinsic things that are developed, your readiness is going to be low. Um, And so that's just an example of that interaction, that interplay. And so, again, that's just a reflection, again, of how life is involved in these decisions. Again, a holistic approach is a whole life approach.
0: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Because like you said, I mean, these folks were coming to college and they knew they wanted to better themselves. They knew they wanted to do something different. These were, you know, colleges like this specialize in in non-traditional students, students who have typically already graduated high school and are now coming back later in life to try and either get a degree because they need it for advancement, because they're ready to change directions, because whatever it is and whatever. What was so fascinating to me was it wasn't just the technical knowledge it was all the things they didn't realize it was the it students who didn't realize for example that their credit score was going to be a major factor in their employment you know how how many of those uh, post military guys did we take in who they had it skills they needed it certification we could provide that but we were coach i remember sitting with these guys and going you realize that the most detrimental thing you can do is rack up a credit score. That's going to become problematic where you lose your security clearance. And they're like, what are you, what are you talking about? I'm like, your credit score affects your ability to stay security clearance with the government. And it's not just your it skills that they need. They also need the fact that you have security clearance, which you do. But if you come out of here and start, throwing credit cards around and buying the car and getting the house and and racking up this debt load, you could drop your security clearance and no amount of my technical training matters at that point. You've got to have several things put together. And and the amount of people we found that could get through the technical training, but didn't have the customer service, the personality, the conflict resolution, the, the you know, we call them soft skills, but there are still essential skills that had never been required before of some of these students that became the differentiator between the students we had that were successful and the ones that weren't were the ones who took a more complete approach and realized that certification's great but it's that one skill having that skill only got me so far and it was the students who had all these other things we were teaching um, you know in in the off times in the in the after hours in in between classes, those were the ones who were actually really you know, they could put a sentence together. they could communicate well they they weren't, you know they they could dress the part. I mean how many times did that become a conversation when we're sending students out going you've got you've got all the smarts. And yet you walk in the room and they can't take you seriously because you lack a skill. At the time, I didn't think of these as skills, right? This this is, you know, this is the hindsight looking back going, I didn't think of being dressed the part as a skill. We just thought of it as essential, but it's a skill.
1: But it was. I think, uh, I think uh, when you bring it up, I, I'm visualizing it. I think I remember the time, I think, I, I don't remember if I brought them into the office or if you were aware of them, but I, I'm thinking of these two students individually and um, you know, they talking about looking apart. The they, you could tell that they were the creative types. They, but they, they had the hair spiked up with the colors going on and everything. And they were, they were having challenges with getting employment. And I remember telling you about that. He was like, "Well, they gotta understand it can't look like they get a job." And you know, it's um, my uh, director when I was working at USF, um, Dr. Jody Conway. I will say her name. She came up with this coin. She coined this phrase called carefrontation. So it's, it's being, is speaking truth. While you're confronting it, but you're you're saying it in a very caring ways. I'm telling you the truth because I care about you. I care about your success. I care about your future. And I and I think that you are an expert in doing that because I know you had to be. And I remember that's part of what you had to do with those two individuals because <laughs> I'm just like you know you don't want to give them a false understanding of okay false reality like okay yeah you can walk up in there and employer is going to not pay attention to the way you're looking and give you a job that is not the case. <laughs>
0: They were talented graphic yes. designers coming out of our graphic yes. design program. Very talented. Could have been working anywhere. Couldn't get through the door. Couldn't get past the interviews because they weren't being taken seriously. And they're like, but but I'm a creative and I'm an artist and it shouldn't matter because what matters is the art. And I'm like, no, no, it's, it that does matter. But it also matters that you present a certain look inside the floor plan when people walk into the agency that you... You know, I, I empathize with it because, especially you know, the last five years or so, as as we've all learned to work from home and work a bit more casually and whatnot, I, I do empathize with it. But at the same time, I think about what uh, uh, my my current CEO said to me about because we there was a long debate over were we going to continue to wear ties in the office or were we going to drop the ties and and take a little bit more of a Florida casual approach. And he was very adamant that we were going to maintain wearing ties, and he ultimately lost the battle. But sometimes I wonder if he should have won. And one of the reasons is he he said to me, "He's like, you think I like wearing a tie?" He's like, "I don't." He's like, "It's a sign of respect to the people I work with. Has nothing to do with me. It's about showing, you know, that courtesy and that that awareness that that level of EQ. I think was missing." And again, talk about a skill that had to be taught to sit there and think about it's. It's not about your individual expression; it's about how you are presenting yourself to the people around you. Are you distracting? Are you, you know, are you a- out of line or, or what have you? But again, these were the kinds of skills that nobody else was thinking about at that time. Was these, you know, again, I I, I deign to call them, but soft skills. But nonetheless, those, those were the kinds of skills that we really sort of were you know we were teaching at a time when i don't think anybody else was even thinking about and it definitely made our students more prepared because they had a complete talent stack walking into employers they were the first ones probably that had been shown there's more to it than just here's my diploma i'm ready to work it's no 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 it's let me show you all the ways that it matters which was just great! I, I loved that mission. I, I'm. I wish we could have spent more time chasing it because I think there was even more to be done. Also, uh, hashtag Carefrontation. Still in that. <laughs> Take that it. Is fantastic.
1: <laughs> I took it from her. Oh, that's good. <laughs> it really is. Let's get that. Let's get that trending. <laughs> hashtag Carefrontation. That is a great one.
0: So a year later i ended up exiting the college to to head to jj taylor um yeah you know again the changes in regs uh, i think you actually left a little before i did i think if i remember correctly i did
1: yep and i went to university i went back to university of south florida cuz then there were opportunities for me yep
0: mm-hmm. so so talk to us about that because um i you added a a big piece to your skill stack both academically but also i think you brought the concept of again skill stacking to USF. So I'd love to hear more about that part of your journey.
1: Very exciting time for me. So interesting position I had. I was offered a position as the career counselor over the career services. And then I was offered a position um, working for the undergraduate studies department in transitional advising. Um, and I took I took the transition advising role because it really was a again multi potential. It was a nice blend of my ability to do career counseling, student support, and academic advising. And um, my director also get, told me that I would have the opportunity to take the work that I did when I was a graduate student, which was creating a centralized career advising service for students that were um, either changing their majors because. They were kicked out of their program because they didn't meet great point average requirements or just great requirements or they just said you know i don't want to major in this anymore and so she was like saying you have have the opportunity to make this formal completely centralized and so i love that challenge and so i took on that role Um, and so i worked as a transitional advisor and it was more so of a career advising role and for usf there are so many colleges there was over 180 majors but there were some programs that had what was called a DF grade limit. So some students, if they got any grade, basically that was lower than a C minus, and some of them were two, some of them were three, and grade forgiveness did not count, um, they were kicked out of their majors. And so there were a lot of students who were displaced. Now you take the natural organic student who was just still deciding or still exploring, and they're changing their majors for that reason, That's, that's we're gonna have that automatically. But you add this layer on top of that, And so this is where I began to see, oh, okay, even though USF is, you know, a public, you know, accredited institution, there is this business aspect here because like what you were talking about, um, these students were at risk of reaching excessive credit hour limits. And so getting them graduated was very important because, again, these institutions are held accountable for you know, how many students graduate, when do they graduate and because there's money is attached to that. And so what happened is that it was an easy sell to all of the deans of the various colleges to say, hey, let me create this centralized service um, and it's going to affect your numbers greatly. Um, and so I was able to build that with my team and all of the academic advisors, because it, it did take a whole village. I had to sell the service and say, hey, this is why I want you to trust to send them to me. I have a background in career counseling. I have a background in academic advising. I worked in mental health. I worked, you know, in student support services. So I have again, I'm most happy to have all these skills. So anything that they throw at me, I'm I'm ready for it. And that made the selling point. So again, talk about talent stacked and how that can really make you uh, have an opportunity where you can create your own space, you can create your opportunities. And so um, with the cooperation of all the colleges, the university, I mean, colleges within the university, we were able to create a formal program that provide career advising for students. And I did have the opportunity to do original research on it. So um, I did research in taking a look at did, the program was called major reselection did it affect academic performance? And as um, I was working with a couple of professors in um, the university, we were looking at the data, we did see a significant um, just effect on the grade point average of students who did receive the major reselection services. It actually increased this in, in the, the next semester and even the following semester post their decision after receiving the major reselection service. We even saw retention within the major as well. And Jeff, I can tell you that, I mean, I'm not that fantastic. I'm not that great. I mean, honestly, it really strongly (laughs) disagree, but you're so nice, but it honestly came down to, again, having that space to talk about the fact that it is okay that you have all these talents. It is okay that you have these skills. I mean, honestly, I'm a believer of that question of what do I want to be when I grow up is a continuous question because with each new experience, you're growing up, there's a change that is happening. You're learning new things, your context is changing. So you're growing up. So that, of course, what you want to be and what you want to do, that's going to shift. So creating that safe space to have that candid and courageous conversation with those students, it made all the difference. And then similar to my experience as an undergrad student, showing them the possibilities. I had to quickly dispel the myth that a career or a vocation is linear. I had to quickly dispel that. I don't know if that's kind of what you've heard from others, Jeff, this whole notion from individuals that I get this job, I'm supposed to work it all my life and just advance up the career ladder and that's what I'm supposed to be. How uncomfortable, how unintuitive, how misaligned that thinking is, right? And so I I had to quickly dispel that and say, well, no, our careers aren't linear. If anything, it's a mosaic. You know, because, again, you are changing um, and, you know, you can make not just one plan, but you can make, you know, And I'm going to take another phrase that was coined by our career center director, uh, Jean Keelan. She called them parallel plans. So, you know, the notion of from a strengths based and talent based standpoint, you don't say backup plan because backup plan automatically infers that, OK, which your first plan is going to fail. That's a negative place to operate from. So we say parallel plan. And so that's kind of what we talked about as an outcome in our sessions with major reselections. Let's do some parallel planning. To give you an example, I had students who wanted to be a doctor, um, and they were in pre-med or any of the biology majors. Again, they hit that DF grade limit, they got kicked out. And when they kicked them out, they didn't only just, they couldn't declare the major again, they were blocked from all the academic departments. So you couldn't take any more biology courses. You couldn't take any more chemistry courses. So as you know, prerequisite courses for medical school is one of the key admission criteria. So if I just got kicked out from completing inorganic chemistry one, and I got to go all the way up to organic chemistry, I can't do it in USF anymore. So we talked about, okay, why did you want to become a doctor? And and some cultural things are part of that. So a lot of my students from the Asian uh, background, you know, there is this concept of you have to honor family and decision making. And so part of their decision making becoming a doctor is to honor what their family want them to do. And again, and I completely understood that. But then when you talk to them to find out who they were as a person, there was a misalignment. While they wanted to be a doctor, they really wanted to help people and some wanted to be lawyers, for example. Or some wanted to actually work in public health and be a health educator. And so, again, from that parallel plan aspect, we talked about, OK, so you've got all these credits accrued. Um, you can't go and just declare a different major. You can't go into college or business. That's going to set you way back. So let's talk about what you have here, how we can make this pivot, but we can also speak to the things that you are interested in doing and then get you a job as well. And so again, when we looked at our data and again, from having those courageous conversations, creating that safe space, those were the things that really made the difference. Um, part of my intake form was asking, what were your challenges or your barriers leading up to this appointment? And it wasn't, <clears throat> I couldn't pass my class or I wasn't smart enough. It wasn't, um, you know, I you know didn't know about this information. It was, I wasn't interested, or first time away from home, or um, you know, more of your psychosocial emotional factors. So again, talking about that EQ component, those are the things that were really prevalent. And so again, having that environment where we can get to talk about, you know, your interests, your skill sets. It's okay to have these talents. You can package this into something. Careers are not linear. You know, that really freed a lot of students. And so I mean that. It was an awesome time at USF to really be a part of that experience, to tell that story with data, and um, to be able to have to make that difference. And I to this day believe, even when I um, do my coaching with uh, families and, and kids who want to send their kids to college, one of the things I do emphasize is you have to listen to the individual um, and to hear those things. And again our workforce model is not the same as it was for our parents and our grandparents. I would submit that this current workforce model is more inviting and encouraging of having this multi-potential, this multi-ability that the talent stack because of the fact that it, is a ever changing world. But when you put things like automation, artificial intelligence, virtual environments, and things of that nature, it does command having all of those multiple abilities. And it's okay to develop those in your education and career.
0: Oh more more than okay. It's becoming essential. It's become it's becoming essential. I, I the reason I'm so interested in this topic is because I think as you know we look forward it's the people that have these types of talent stacks that are going to be the most successful, because you have to have a, a you have to have a lot of functional knowledge about a lot of weird things in any kind of job nowadays, right? I mean, it, so so talking about the USF time, and I, I do want to touch on a couple things there because there's some really fascinating stuff. First of all, talk, the emotional component of that kind of major change, not just the logistical component, you know, like you said, students who change majors because they decide I want to be in this instead of that. There's a lot of logistics that goes into getting that right and, and not losing too much time, but to essentially fail out of the program that you were set on, not only are you having to deal with the logistics of a major change, you're dealing with the emotional fallout, you're dealing with the losing your social group because in those types of high performance majors, oftentimes, I mean, you're in the study groups with them. You see them in every class. You're you're basically a cohort. So you've lost your social cohort. You've lost your academic cohort. You've lost your, quote, dream, and, and you've got to figure out what to do with that. And I love that your team's approach was to say, well, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater and say... That this is gone, it's it's still skill, it's still talent that you've acquired. What can we stack on it instead to end up somewhere that is still useful and and still recognize the value of these pieces? But again, how did you get there? You had a particular skill set that included both career counseling, academic counseling, and like personal counseling, and it, it takes all three because if you can't recognize all those components, then you're missing something, and I think that's why what you were doing was both so interestingly different than what was happening before and why it worked because a traditional academic counselor thinks about the logistics of curriculum. They don't take the time to stop and go, let's recognize the emotional fallout that's happening here. And a, a, you know, a a personal counselor may not understand the logistics or understand the career market to go, what are still marketable in these skills that you have? So what a great example of how Talent Stacks both created the job that you ended up with and I believe ended up becoming the the basis of your doctoral work, if I remember correctly.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that, that research was published um, in the National Academic Advising Journal, um, you know, and that I was so proud of that because that was that was a labor of love. But I also wanted it to be a model for other universities and colleges to think about, because I mean you're correct, Jeff. There is a psychosocial emotional component. As you were talking, one of the things I had to make the students aware, especially if they failed their major, was the whole process of grief. Some students were in various stages of grief, and you know this whole concept of grieving the loss of an academic major, because like I said, again, holistic approach, whole life approach, that major is attached to your identity, it's attached to your social construct. And then from a parental standpoint, it is also attached to, you know, the support you get at home with your family. And so some of them, again, were in the stages of denial, bargaining um i could tell you the students that were kicked out of engineering majors because again failing out oh my goodness the bargaining would go in no doubt you know because what can i do who can i talk to what extra credit is there absolutely i will i will scrub the campus
0: stadium bathrooms if i can get a retake (laughs) on this i mean absolutely
1: absolutely yeah And, and and i i extend that to you know not just getting just failing out of a major when you find yourselves, if you are in a job or in a career and whatever the factors that create that, you find yourself either burnt out or no longer interested or finding yourself at some kind of loss and you do have to change your career employment, whether you get laid off or you're not getting recognized at work and you're not getting promoted in the way you feel you should get promoted and you do make that shift, there is a loss that is there. And so there is some form of grief that appears and, you know, part of what I do with career counseling is my thing is to tell people to say hello to that. It's okay. You have to acknowledge that because that is going to allow for you to move past it as you go on. Because if you don't, you carry things into your new opportunity, like insecurity. You question your confidence. You question your abilities. And and, and that, you know, that doesn't allow for you to maximize all the talents that you have stacked from those previous and that current opportunity.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's that again becomes the foundation of, of this idea is being able to take that step back and, and you were there guiding them through this to say, let's look at everything you've got here and realize that these blocks that you've built don't go away just because all of a sudden the blueprint isn't going the way it was supposed to. There's still good material here. What can we do to change the blueprint and come up with something else? You know, if if you think about building a house, it's like, well, okay, I I get it. You can't build the house that was on the page anymore because you know they've said no to your particular plan. But we're still sitting here, surrounded by concrete and wood and two by fours, and and we can build something else. It may not look like what you thought it was going to look like, but none of this has gone bad, and that's again that's the foundation that's the essence of this talent stack idea is acquiring all these pieces i i I alluded to it's it's like being a skill hoarder right you know and it's we've got them and we 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 swear we're going to do something with them someday they're all sitting there in a room and we're looking at them but the the truth is you can take those and go okay i'm going to repurpose them i i love what you the analogy you called it a mosaic right and and it is i think such a great analogy for this because Oftentimes it's these weird little bits that don't seem to fit in until you find the right place for all of them, glue them together, and turn them into something. And and that's what all these little skills uh, become over time is is they are weird little parts of the mosaic that eventually can be shifted and changed. And, and it's so absolutely true that our careers today don't look like what our parents did and no one's career is going to – that model that for some reason – And we were saying this back when we were doing the Southwest Florida College stuff. I remember teaching this to these kids in in classes going, if you think you're going to show up for 25 years straight and get the gold watch at the end, you're crazy. It's just not how it's going to work anymore. You're going to change jobs multiple times. You're going to change careers a couple of times. But everything you learn along the way can be moving you towards the next thing. They are not independent roads by which you have to go down one. And if you go down the wrong one, you have to back up to get to the next one. You can change lanes at all kinds of points and still be on the same road. And you can, you know, move in directions that are seemingly unrelated, but there's there's a little germ of an idea in there. And maybe a skill that you have that wasn't important, but you kind of have it, turns out to become more important later when you restack the system and and come up with something new, which is all, I think, so essential to how we look ahead to work today and in the future. I never thought when I was doing radio in college, that my radio skills were going to be essential to me down the future. Cause I didn't do the radio path here. I am, you know, I, podcasting has become a huge part of my career and all of that is built on the radio skills, how to speak into the microphone correctly, how to put the headset on, how to do the audio editing. Uh, all of that comes from a place of a skill that I picked up that I never thought I'd have a use for again, has turned out to be an essential part of my current stack because it's useful in that way. So I I think that's the fun for me in all of this and definitely a big part of of how careers and career planning into the future goes. And a big part of how as you know students are going into college now with the cost and and what it takes to get through and looking at this and going there are so many people who graduated from college who are doing nothing like what their degree says it is, which is in a way it's fine. I mean, who am I to, I'm not doing political science other than everybody, everywhere is politics all the time. I think going into college today, if I were to go back and look at it differently, I would definitely take a lot more electives outside of my major. I would definitely spend a lot more time in extracurriculars and, and use that time to build even more of these skills that I have had to sort of, dip in and out of. But I think that's the beauty of of what's coming up ahead. So I want to shift now and talk about what you're doing today, because I'm excited to hear about uh, the the consulting work that you're doing now and, and how this thread continues to pull all the way through
1: yeah so i would say that this honestly this current work that i'm doing is a beautiful culmination of just everything i've just shared so i currently work as a certified career counselor uh, for government contractor who works with the department of defense and i provide career counseling to military spouses um, and this is um, some very interesting work because as i've shared with you my work has traditionally been with students um, families and so the military population um, I never served in the military, but I have family members who have, um, is, is a very unique population. So it's interesting as if I were to describe the combination of the experiences that I have and the work that I do and what I feel like I specialize in. In providing career counseling, uh, support services, and advising, it would be that I specialize in career education transitions because of the fact that I've worked with such a transient type of uh, model, and you know just those various situations. And so I thought I covered it all until I began working with the military population. Um, with military spouses, they pre- present a unique uh, set of, of challenges into the workforce. With the military lifestyle comes a lot of their military moves because their spouses are getting assigned. Um, And so what happens is, is that they could be in a job today and not be in a job tomorrow. And then, of course, finding opportunities is a bit challenging as a result of that. You, Jeff, you've worked in HR. You are very uh, astute to HR. What does it look like when someone presents to you a resume that has employment gaps? (laughs) What's the first thing that comes to your mind?
0: Yeah. And... (laughs) uh and you know it, it it used to be a challenge and now this has gotten so much worse because the reality is so many of these are being AI scanned as opposed to looked at by a human with a brain who can actually contextualize stuff I mean it for me it was always a question right that gaps to me were always like a point of interest it, it almost made me stop and go hmm I wonder what that's about what why it's it's if nothing else it's a question at worst, it can look like job hopping. It can look like instability, and it can look like you know unemployability to to someone. And and that's what I become increasingly terrified with. These you know, like I say, it's so many of these now are being scanned by a by an algorithm that sits there and goes, "Oh, there's too many gaps in this resume." Let's. It's a challenge.
1: Yes, the applicant tracking software. Yeah. And so I'm glad you said that because, you know, that is, you know, a, a a deep concern for military spouses. So you get a lot of military spouses who are very talented, highly educated, highly skilled. And if anything, because of the type of environment and lifestyle they have. They're, I would call them great experts at change and change management. And you talk about talent stack. Oh my goodness. Like Jeff, like this is like, I would say part of one of your poster, you know, images or your, your, your avatars, if you will. Because um, when I, when I have my first session with them, I do ask them. Uh, first of all, I asked them, how long have they been a military spouse and what is military life? How has it been like for them? But then I asked them about their education and their experience and to hear the experience and how they've gathered so many skills. Um, you know, Some of them, because they're in that situation, they will, if they can't get a job and what they want to get it in, they'll get a job or whatever they can. So you see a lot of military spouses doing a lot of your gig economy. Uh, work. You see those doing your service work, like your service uh, servers and things of that nature. And so they bring that to the table. So another concern they have is, you know, I don't have direct experience, Deborah. I want to basically go for this particular role here. I, I want to go for an HR position. Um, I did some HR work back when we were assigned, you know, in Alabama, but we've moved three locations since then. And because we move, you know, three months or six months out, I wasn't able to get a job because employers thought that I was a risk. And so but I really want to go into HR, but I've got this experience here. How do I present my resume or how do I explain to employers in an interview or like you said, with the application tracking software, how can I get selected? And so this is a very, very interesting Population that I'm working with, um, I, I, I feel that it has commanded my skill set in a whole nother level, which I love. Um, I do this in a virtual environment, so a lot of my spouses, I am providing services through a telephone uh, environment, um, and so what happens is, for my counseling skill set, I have to rely a lot on my active listening, um, which is you know it's a different experience when you're looking at someone face to face. You're hearing on the phone. Face to face, I can see your body language, I can see your affect, you know, and I can see what's going on in the background with you on the phone. I can't quite see that. So I have to not only really um, you know forge my active listening skills, but I have to pay attention to the tone of the voice. I have to pay attention to what's going on in the background. I gotta pay attention to what's going on in my background and try to again reproduce what I would have in an in-person face-to-face environment. And so, you know, that's something that has really built, I mean, really advanced my skill set, but then also with the the career counseling piece, because as we talk about from that holistic standpoint, um, you know, with military spouses, they are trying to not only identify with what kind of role they want to do, but maintain it because of the transient nature. Um, And so that's a population, I would say, Jeff, where talent stack is such an alignment for them. And then them having that understanding that this workforce actually will embrace them, that they are essential. So a lot of our conversations steer upon the fact that, you know what, your situation, it create, puts create an awesome advantage for you. So let's talk about how we can leverage these opportunities. And if you do have any gaps, let's talk about some things you did in the meantime, because I get some spouses who actually will do things on the base. They will um, have a mentor other new military spouses and their families. Um, they will be a part of some nonprofit work and things of that nature. And so we talk about how that fills in the gaps. But again, how the, with the, the talents that they bring from that, how you stack it upon the, the professional work that you have and how you can contribute that. Um, Going back to our Southwest Florida college time, one of the things that I love that you did with students is you set them in the mindset and a framework that when you apply for a job, you have to think about what you are bringing to the employer, what you are bringing to the company. And selling that as such, don't take the self-centered approach like, uh, I just want a job, pay me. <laughs> no, it's like, okay, they're going to pay you, but there's an exchange that's happening. And so you have to communicate that. So we talk a lot about that framework that, you know, as a military spouse, this is what you bring to the table. And this actually makes you very competitive. Um, and so, and, and again, you are an expert of change. You are an expert of being highly adaptable to situations and flexible because, you have to do that as part of life. Again, going back to that holistic approach is a whole life approach as well. So I'm really enjoying this experience um working with military spouses. Again, I I, I serve them in career development, education and training, uh, transition, um, and of course, you know, with any of their you know, external things, um, if they are dealing with any of the mental health affects, I mean, ag- ag, um, excuse me, factors that come along with being in a military um, lifestyle, especially dealing with their spouses and what they deal with. We talk about that as well, and I do referral for various resources um, that are provided by the government as well. So again, very fascinating work. I'm I'm happy that I found it, Um, and I, I got into this work, Jeff, during the pandemic, the COVID pandemic. So um, that was a pleasant surprise. Um, just, you know, personally, I had a lot of uh, health issues that put me at high risk for COVID, being asthmatic, having a lower immune system. Um, and so I noticed when I was at USF, I got sick a whole lot. And it didn't hit me until after getting out of that environment, working with physicians that all of that being sick, it actually brought my immune system down. So I was like, well, yeah, I can't do this anymore. I'm hearing all this stuff that's going on in the news. I'm like, okay, yeah, we need to make a pivot. (laughs) Let's move to something else and found this opportunity, um, again, as a remote career counselor working with military spouses. And so I absolutely love it. Like I said, it's the culmination of everything. It's interesting when you think that you have, um, you know, have developed a very strong context and knowledge and awareness of the type of work that you do, there's always an experience out there that really just gives you a whole nother face, a whole nother perspective to it. And that's again why I say careers are not linear. They're not. They are so much in a way, again, a mosaic They're you know, they're so, um, you know, dynamic And in how they form and develop. So, like I said, I always say the question of I'm always asking myself, "What do I want to be when I grow up?" You know, because that that change always happens as well. So, yeah, that it's it's fun. It's fun time right now.
0: (laughs) I love it. And and what a you know what a great great example again of talent stacking. I mean, it, military spouses, you, you couldn't be more right. Military spouses are the epitome of talent stacking. But it's—it's it's, if there's one thing I hope to to do with this conversation, with this podcast, it's to get people to start thinking about the things they have as talents to be stacked. Because I think we oftentimes, we take for granted that the experiences we have, the jobs that we've done, if they're not related to the thing, that somehow they're just Irrelevant. And that's not the case. It's When you look at any job, any career, there are relevant skills that are transferable, right? And even if it's just just in being a military spouse, as you said, their ability to cope and, and deal with change management, their ability to um, adapt to culture quickly, I mean, they're constantly being dropped in places that they may not even speak the language, let alone have a social network and a group of friends. So their ability to adapt to others, connect with others, integrate themselves quickly, huge skill. Huge, huge skill. Uh and they don't think of it often as a skill. They just think of it as, well, it's just something I have to do to survive. And and that may be true, but if you stop and, and step back from it and go, start thinking of everything in your life like that as a skill. Start thinking about the fact that you run and manage this household by yourself with all these parts and pieces. That is skills. They are trans, and once you start thinking of them as skills, now you realize that those skills are transferable, and now you start to really sit there and round out what your talent stack is, and that it's made up of all these crazy, kooky, seemingly unrelated skills that, when put together, come together to make that mosaic picture. Uh, that you know you have to be willing to take that step back and zoom out to see the whole thing, because if you're too busy looking at the the little bits and tiles that have gone into making it, you'll, you'll miss the the picture that it really holds when you step back and see it all together. It's great. I I love that that's where you're at with the work because you, again, I think for me getting into this podcast was the realization that there's kind of a term now for this weird approach that I have always taken to my own personal development. And it, it's, I, I hear the same here where I'm like, I think you're out there teaching talent stacks as sort of the basis of their value propositions when they go into these employers and now there's a word for it. So hopefully, you know, we'll get this thing trending, hashtag talent stack and people will start to speak of it that way and employers, I hope, will start to listen for it that way and understand that it's more than just the resume on the page. It's more than just where you've worked. It's about your talent stack. What can you bring to the party that creates value for me that is more than just where you've worked and for how long, but that jumping around and hopping around who cares if everywhere I went, I acquired new and, and, you know, interesting skills, putting those together creates something entirely unique and unique is value that that's the fundamental thesis behind this podcast is uniqueness creates value and every talent stack is unique. And the more unique you make your talent stack, the more valuable you become when you find the right place to to land it. So I I love it. I love that you're still elbows deep in this work because it's, it's. It's my favorite kind of stuff. That's so awesome. All right. I have a I have a pop quiz now here at the end. I'm gonna I did not include this in the pre-work, but this this is a brand new idea. So uh, here's here's my my wrap up question. You're gonna be the first guest to try this out. I want you to in rapid fire list as many skills in your stack as you can think of. If you had to describe what's in your talent stack, just rapid fire quick hits. Rattle them off for us. How many you think you could name? Go.
1: Okay. All right. Counseling, instruction, coaching, uh, support, organization, uh, predictive analytics, data analytics, uh, marketing, um, advertising. Um, let's see. Did I say organization. Um, oh, goodness. Um, wow. <laughs> I did say coach. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm trying to go. Um. Oh yeah, technical writing, uh, research, um, presentation. Um, goodness. Uh, that is in in uh, social emotional uh learning and coaching and development. Um, let's see. Uh. Goodness, I'm 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 at a loss now from that. And probably some more may pop in as well, you know.
0: No, that's that's great. <laughs> I'm I have no doubt there are so many more. But I I love that because again, it just shows how many things go into making up. You know, someone so talented and successful and, and who has found this great little niche that they are excelling in is because of all these things that, you know, again, what I would not have thought of technical writing um, as, you know, or advertising as ones that I would immediately associate. But I immediately, once I hear you say it, I'm like, oh, I know where that's coming from. And, and they're important you end up relying on those skills, whether you realize them or not. And so that's, again, I just, I, it's a fun little exercise that I, I did with myself. The other, day. I'm like, I wonder how many of these I could actually sit down and make, um, but I'm going to challenge all my guests to do this because I think that's part of the fun is to realize how many of these people have that they don't even often think of and, and maybe don't rely on every day. But when you need it, you're going to be glad it's there. So very cool. I love it. Good stack. Nice, nice. All right. Well, Deb, I think we're going to wrap it up here because I know we've got a lot more uh, going on and you've got uh, people that need counseling and I've got uh, people that need training. But thank you so much for taking the time out to do this. This has been such a pleasure. I'm always excited to catch up with you.
1: Oh, thank you for having me here. Yes, absolutely. This is so needed if and if I can give a final word, you know, I think this is a beautiful progression from where uh we've gone in training and professional development. Um when I saw Talent Stack and I heard about your theory with that, the first thing came to mind was the whole strengths uh, finder, the strengths based um uh paradigm that's created by Gallup and I'm thinking this is a beautiful progression from that because again, it's your 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 uniqueness, your uh, ability to acquire these talents and skills. They are not something that is a negative. It's not a detriment. It's nothing p- that should be punitive. If anything, it should be celebrated. And you should be able to realize that is, again, a part of what you bring into the table It's how you take up your space and, and how you create your unique fingerprint in the workforce and that is how we should always approach it and again always asking yourself that question what or who do I want to be when I grow up because again we are always growing we're evolving we're changing and that is okay you have to say hello to that that is very natural so you have to work in alignment with the natural things that you know your soul your mind um, is telling you about yourself
0: I love it I love it thank you so much this has been such a pleasure anywhere uh if people If people want to find you, if if maybe they need career counseling or they know a military spouse (laughs) that has one, I don't know, anything you want to promote, any any places you want to point people to connect with you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. I can do that quick plug. So for all the military spouses out there um, who are married to active duty service members, uh, there's certain ranks that are involved within that, but there is a free scholarship. It is called the My Career Advancement Account Scholarship, uh, where they provide a maximum benefit of $4,000 that will pay towards a professional certification license or an associate's degree. Um, and that uh, is only tuition based. But if you are married to an active duty service member, of course there's a certain ranking uh specification that applies please definitely contact your local uh, education board at your base or reach out to military one source and you can learn about the mycaa scholarship and then to find me you can just send me an email to consulting deborah at gmail.com um, i'm always responsive to my email as well
0: Excellent. And I'll go ahead and we'll have those uh, in the show notes for you folks as well. So if you're listening and you want to find out more info, check the show notes and we'll have all that for you there too. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Talent Stacked. Thank you all for being along for the journey and taking a listen. Thank you, Deb, for being a part of this one. And I'll be back with another episode soon. So we'll see you then.